Yeah, it's, it's great to be here this morning. And, you know, so we've been down in Chihuahua, which is kind of north central Mexico, for almost 14 years and, and with the Tatamatas down there. And so in the Tatamata church, uh, it tends to be pretty informal because many of the people, you know, they're impoverished and, and come from very, uh, very humble areas. And so church is super, super informal and you know so I was kind of nervous this morning I was like boy it's been so long you know coming up to church in the states anymore it, it, I can kind of feel almost out of place and so I was so happy when I looked over and saw Patrick just wearing socks as he was I was like yes this is I'm feeling better and then the drummer I don't know his name he's an awesome drummer and he, he you know with the sweater that says Holy Spirit and so I was, it was like perfect if you guys were down in Chihuahua you would, uh, if you were at house church, uh, you would be sitting on cinder blocks and we'd, and we'd be in the dirt. And so this is, God is so good to, to uh, with the blessings that, that we have experienced. But yeah, I am very excited to be here. I'm excited to continue the abide study. And my understanding is, is you kind of interchange that with experiencing God from Henry Blackaby, which is where much of the abide study has been taken from. And so I'm going to be continuing in that this morning, and it's been a blessing for me to go through that. But honestly, I'm even more excited to reconnect you with your mission field that God called grace to in 2017. So, so these images uh, behind you, th these are the Tatamatas in their native homelands in the mountains. And so you're seeing the beautiful traditional dress of those ladies. Um, but but 13, like I mentioned, 13 years ago, almost 14, God called Heather and I and our four young kids to Chihuahua City, uh, which is a large city about four hours from these mountains that you're seeing in the video, to reach the Tatamata. Uh, four young kids, our, our youngest, just out of diapers. And so it was quite a step of faith for us, but it's really been awesome to see how God has moved about three, uh, there are in total about 300,000 Tatamatas, and about half of them have left the mountains that you're seeing to come to those large cities. Because over the last few generations, over the last 20 years, there's been tremendous drought, and the Tatamatas primarily uh, subsist off of corn that they grow up in the mountains. And so that drought then has caused much starvation, and so they've left those mountains to go to the cities in search of a better quality of life. Chihuahua, being the largest city close to the mountains, is where many of them have gone to. And so God very clearly called us to Chihuahua City to be reaching them there in a very strategic way so that they could then be going back into the mountains and into those smaller towns and villages. And so we began a ministry called Light Shine, primarily to work with Tatamata kids, children and teens who quickly grow up into into families. Praise the Lord, in 2017, God called Grace to come down and visit a particular colonia. When I say the word colonia, you need to think ghetto, because when the Tatamatas come out of the mountains and they come into the city, there's a lot of prejudice between Tatamatas and Mexicans. They don't get along very well. And so the Tatamatas don't integrate into society. It's about a million people in Chihuahua. They don't integrate into the culture. Instead, they group together into colonias. 
into ghettos, very impoverished. There could be anywhere from a few dozen to 600 or 700 tatamatas in a colonia. And in 2017, God called grace to a particular colonia on the north side of town, Colonia Ladrieta. Very impoverished. You see the photos. In Colonia Ladrieta, all the tatamatas there make bricks. And guys, it's such a blessing because the model of light shine is that we can't go into a colonia to minister to the tatamatas there until God calls a church in the United States to that colonia and that church before God. They say, you know what? This is our mission field. So this model is very interesting and it's something that I want you to hear this morning. The model of Lightshine is that a church in the United States feels led by God, feels called by God, they go to the colonia, they take a vision trip, and then they come back and they discuss, the leadership, the elders of that church discuss, they, they receive confirmation from God, and a point comes where they say, you know what, this colonia that we visited, this is our mission field. And they make that long-term commitment before God. And in 2017, Grace did that very thing. Grace said, you know what? Colonia Ladrieta is our mission field. This little colonia of 300, 400 tatamatas on the very north side of the city, impoverished. Everybody makes bricks by hand, kind of like the Israelites used to do. No running water. Grace said, this is our mission field. And one day, as a church, we know that we're going to give an account to God of our mission field because this is our commitment that he's led us to. It's very important because if, if a bomb dropped on Lightshine and all of Lightshine went away, that would make no difference because grace would continue to find the way to reach their mission field. So in other words, guys, this is yours. This is yours, each one of you. This is your mission field, and it's a beautiful thing. It's not that you're coming aside light shine to help light shine reach Tatamatas in Colonia Ladrieta. It's the exact opposite of that. Colonia, Colonia Ladrieta is Grace's mission field, and light shine comes alongside of you to help you reach your mission field. And that's an awesome, that's an awesome, awesome excuse me, awesome, awesome thing. So I'm excited to be able to be here this morning and just share with you, give you a, a little bit of an update about what is happening. So the last time we were here uh, was about three years ago, right before COVID. Guys, God has done some incredible things in the Ladrieta. It was very, challenge at the, very challenging at the beginning because of uh, just issues um, uh, amongst the Taramata people and issues in that colonia. But God is moving incredibly. The teen group just keeps growing and growing. In fact, we're in a position right now where uh, we can't fit anymore in the van. We take the teens out of the Ladrieta and, 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 and take them to the ministry house where they can spread out and cook and spend the whole afternoon together. There's no more room in the van. In Mexico, we cram a lot of people in a van, I promise you. But there's, even with that, there's no more room. So we're you know, looking at a second vehicle. It's awesome. The uh, attendance just keeps growing, and finally, and this is, I would say, the most exciting for me, finally, after all these years, the house church in the Colonia has taken root. It's faithfully, consistently attended now by, by between 8 to 12 people, and then there's always a bunch of stragglers that come every so often, and so it's really beautiful, guys. The body of Christ 
through Grace's decision to say yes, the body of Christ is taking root in the Ladrieta. That's awesome. That's something that we can all celebrate together. But the reality is that because of COVID, because of these circumstances, the relationship between Grace and the Ladrieta has really waned a little bit in the last few years. And it's just circumstantial. The commitment, your commitment, your passion hasn't waned, but just uh, the ability to act on that has really waned. And that's part of the reason I'm here today. See, the foundation of, of all the ministry that happens in the Ladrieta, the foundation is child sponsorship. Lightshine is primarily an after-school program, and kids come and they, they learn the Bible um, chronologically beginning to end. They come, they learn uh, social-emotional topics dealt with in a very Judeo-Christian sort of way. Um, the moms come to the kitchen ministry. There's house visits where the teachers and the directors um, every week go to the houses and interact with the, with the family. And so the foundation of all of this is child sponsorship. Without child sponsorship, everything goes away. And, and again, this model is unique. It's not that these kids in the Ladrieta are sponsored by people all over the world or something. No, it's grace. It's grace, and there's one other sponsored church that sponsors this colonia because this is your mission field. And so, guys, over these, over these last few years, a lot of that has really waned because we haven't been here. And so part of the reason we're here is after service. We have children available for sponsorship, and I really encourage you to become involved in your mission field. In Grace's mission field, this is, yes, it's parachurch ministry, but, but more importantly, this is Grace's mission field, guys, and it's a chance for you to be involved. So there are about 25 kids who are waiting for sponsors and really encourage you to, to think about this, to pray about this, and, and consider signing up afterwards. Sponsorship is 35 bucks a month. Um, it's what pays for the whole program, but more importantly than the finances, I shouldn't say that. The fi without finances, all of it goes away. But as, or more importantly, the finances, honestly, is your relationship with your child. It's a long-term relationship. You're writing letters to your child. You're praying for your child. And then you have the opportunity as a church to go on a mission trip and actually spend time with your child, spend days with him or her. It, it, they're amazing times. You know, many of those kids, the most important person in their life is their sponsor. For many of those kids, their sponsor, although they hear the gospel every day through light shine, for many of those kids, their sponsor is the one who really introduces them to Christ. Their sponsor is the one writing them letters saying, hey, we love you, we're praying for you. Many of those kids, they keep every photo they receive, every letter they receive from their sponsor. Um, they don't have, oftentimes they don't even have a bed, but they'll somehow have a little shoebox that they keep everything in. So I really encourage you to consider that. About 25 kids, my wife Heather will will be out and you can sign up and then also as greg mentioned stay after service a, a few minutes after service ends we're going to have a, a lunch there's some awesome italian food that that bob is making and i'm going to be able to give you guys much more specifics specific updates about colonia ladrieta there's a lot of videos from the kids videos from the teachers you're going to hear from them firsthand really have a good idea of what's going on so i encourage you to to consider that I was so excited leading up to today when Pastor Greg sent me an email saying, hey, we would like for you to continue in our sermon series, Experiencing God. And now I'd never read the book, and so I, 
purchased the book and read through it. It was a tremendous blessing, and it really spoke to me personally. In fact, it was such a blessing that we began going through it as a family on Monday nights, and so we're going to continue in that this morning. So before we get into the Word, let me just pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for who you are. You are an incredible God. Lord, I pray that this morning, as Tatamadas are gathering together from Colonia Ladrieta and going to church, Lord, I just ask that you would bless them. Lord, speak to them by your Holy Spirit. And I ask that same thing for us this morning, Lord. Please speak through me and give us all spiritual ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. By the way, guys, just so you know, Tatamadas deal with time very, very differently than we do. Like, as Americans, everything, you know, it's on the clock. And for Tatamata, you know, in the church, at about the 45-minute mark, and I've tried to explain this to your pastors. They always think I'm just joking or something. They, they don't realize that about the 45-minute mark in our church down in, in Chihuahua, that's just about the time where we've, that we've summarized last week and gotten through the introduction. So at about 45 minutes into like an hour and a half, that's when we really get into the heart of the message. You guys are wondering, is he serious or is he really going to go? And I, no, don't worry. It's only, it's going to be the normal time. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, we're continuing in experiencing God. John chapter 6, 1 through 4. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of Jews, was at hand. And so let's start off with a little bit of review. In the Experiencing God series, Reality One is that God is always at work around you. God is always at work around you. The disciples at this point in John chapter 6, they had no idea what Jesus had prepared. They, they thought, okay, today's going to be another day of teaching, of, of Jesus healing people, and of course that's awesome. But Jesus had something much more than that prepared for them personally because we often accept that God is moving like in kind of a distant big picture sort of way but it's much more challenging for us to accept that God is moving in my life personally today God is moving personally he's always working out all of these details and so that's really reality one of experiencing God reality two again in review Reality, reality too, is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. So Jesus, he called these disciples, right? And we know the story. He called these disciples like he calls us. We begin to have a relationship with God. But then Jesus, he didn't just, you know, abandon these disciples. He didn't say, okay, here's the two times a week where I'm going to have a Bible study with you, and aside from that, you guys go off to your home and I'll go my place. That's not what Jesus does. He calls us into a love relationship with himself. With his disciples, he walked with them. He slept in the same room as them. He ate with them. They lived life together because he was 
drawing them into that relationship and wanting to make them more like Him. That's what God continues to do with us, guys, through the Holy Spirit. He wants to draw us into that love relationship. Those of you that have been married or, or you've been in a relationship, think back. Think back to those first years where you're doing anything you can just to spend an extra five minutes with the person you love. That's, I have a terrible, I'll call it a bad habit, I guess I should just call it sin, but I have this terrible bad sin habit in Chihuahua of driving fast. I really do. I drive fast because tickets are like monopoly money because they don't affect your insurance or anything and the fine is not very much, so, so I tend to just drive fast and it's horrible. But it's really not my fault. It's totally Heather's fault because I used to drive at an appropriate speed and then we started dating and so I'd wait until the last minute. You know, I had to be home at 11. I live 15 minutes away and so it would be 10.55 and I'd jump in the, the we called it the tan turd. I'm sorry to say that in church, but this Oldsmobile, this old Oldsmobile, I'd jump in and just pedal to the metal 15 minutes and I'd get home in five minutes. Why? because I loved Heather. I wanted to spend, do anything I could to spend a few more minutes with her. That's the relationship that Jesus desires with us. That's the relationship that we were designed to have with him. God, what can I do to just spend a few more minutes in your word? So reality too is that God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Let's continue in John chapter six, verse five. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Reality three is that God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Jesus knew what he was doing that day. He'd been pursuing his disciples, involving them in a loving relationship. And then he invited Philip personally into his work. See, God always wants to invite us into, in, into his work. It's not that Philip had his agenda and he was saying, hey, Jesus, today uh, I want to accomplish this and this and this, so would you please be with me? Would you please empower me to do this and this? No, it wasn't that. As we have an intimate relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, an intimate re relationship with God, he speaks to us, and he invites us into his work. And that's reality three in the Experiencing God study. He wants us to submit to him. So he says, Philip, you feed these 5,000 men. In fact, in the other gospel accounts, those were his exact words. You feed them, as he spoke to his apostles. And here in John, we see that he's speaking to, to Philip personally. Philip, feed these 5,000 men. In essence, he's saying, Philip, feed these 20,000 people. He wanted to get Philip involved personally. Do you believe that he still does that today? Do you believe that that's how he interacts with us? Because see, if you've been born again, God wants to involve you into his work through an intimate relationship with him. He invites you in very personal, specific ways. And so that brings us to reality four, still by way of review, reality four. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, 
and his ways. And so if we're engaging in, in that reality too, that intimate relationship, then he invites us into his work. And, and that inviting, it, it, it's not just something we conjure up. He invites us and, 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 uh, and the confirmation comes through prayer as he directs our prayers. And then, and then the Bible, as we're praying and we're reading the Bible and, and we just know as we're reading that God is speaking something to us personally. And then through the church, as he invites us, the church has to be a part of that to apply wisdom and, and there has to be unity in those things. And then finally in circumstances, we see that God is moving in this way. And, and, and so we're praying, God, it, would you allow me to be involved in those things? And the, in the, in the, in the Bible confirms it and the church says, yeah, this man, we all feel like this is God, so go do it. So God invites us into his work. You know, I was born again when I was in college, and immediately God gave me the passion to be a missionary. Immediately when I was born again, as soon as I was filled with the Holy Spirit, God gave me that passion. Um, Heather and I became married. We started a family, four young, four young kids, and 10 years later, I was still praying, God, do you want me to be a missionary? And in that 10 years, there was this intimate relationship that I was describing where I'm spending hours a day with the Lord as I'm driving to work and, and praying and, and listening to the Bible and, and reading the Bible in the evening. And finally, the day came when God invited us into his work. He said, hey, I want you to be missionaries down in Chihuahua, Mexico, reaching the Tatamata people. And it's not what I expected, it's not even really what I wanted. I was passionate to be a, a missionary, but I never dreamed God would call me to Mexico. I don't have like a Mexico sort of personality. <laughs> you guys laughed. You think you, you already you've perceived that I don't have a Mexico personality. Yeah, so I really don't. I was like, Mexico? Tatamadas? God invited me into his work. It wasn't me inviting God into, into, into mine. And it was confirmed. God confirmed it in Heather's heart. It was confirmed through the Bible, miraculously. Circumstances, God did these incredible things to confirm the calling. The church was entirely on board and sending us out. So God did it. And amazingly enough, what we've experienced lines up very well with this study from Henry Blackaby. It really does, because I think it's biblical. And so finally, that, believe, that, that leads us to where we are today, to what we're studying today. Reality five, crisis of belief. Reality five is this. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Let me, let me explain that again. Reality 5, God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Continuing in John chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. This is Jesus. He just essentially told Philip to feed 20,000 people. It says, he said this to test him. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for, them to, uh, for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So it says in verse 6 that Jesus did this to test Philip. Uh, do you realize? Uh, we know the end of this story, so we can breeze by this and not even think twice, but do you realize in that moment how ridiculous and, and outrageous that was of what Jesus asked? How's Philip going to pass that test? It's ridiculous. In fact, the other accounts explain that, that the disciples began to argue with Jesus. Saying, yeah, just send them off. Let them buy their own food. Because it's ridiculous. 20,000 people. And you're going to feed them with, with you know, a few pieces of bread and fish. It's impossible. So in essence, Philip is saying, uh, excuse me, Jesus is saying, Philip, do the impossible. That's really what he's saying. Philip, do the impossible. Jesus asked for the impossible and he called it a test for Philip. Did Jesus really expect Philip to hear his clear request, understand it, and then just like launch out and do it on faith? Is that what Jesus expected? Five loaves, two fish? Guys, the answer is yes. That's what Jesus expected. So oftentimes, when, when God calls us into his work, he brings us to a crisis of belief. I'm not talking in the Bible, excuse me, the, the study by Henry Blackaby, when it uses the phrase crisis of belief, it's not talking about like, you know, I'm about to walk away from my faith, or it's not talking about this disaster happened. When it uses the phrase crisis of belief, that's not what it's talking about. It's, it's a crisis of belief in the sense of this is impossible. And unless God shows up, I'm going to fail. That's the crisis of belief. God has called me to do something impossible, and unless he shows up, I am going to fail. I'll completely fail. Oftentimes when God invites us into his work, he brings us to this crisis of belief. Why? Because God wants people to see him. God wants this unbelieving world to see him, not to see us just kind of doing the best we can. He wants this world to see him. And so, yes, oftentimes, guys, he asks us to do the impossible. It'll be a God-sized assignment, at least in our minds. It's a God-sized assignment that only he can accomplish. If God doesn't move, then we will fail. That's reality five in this study. And so this is the crisis point at which many people uh, decide to not obey. Many people decide to not follow what they sense that God is asking them to do. And then they wonder, oftentimes, and I've certainly experienced this, we wonder, why don't I experience God like some of these people that I hear about or people that I see? Why don't I experience his presence or, or his power like, you know, that person over there? 
Not that we should obviously be comparing ourselves to one another, but that's just the reality, right? I've certainly felt that many, many times. I don't know. Maybe you've felt that. Like, man, I want to experience more of God, more of His presence. I want to walk in His power. And this is what God does. God told Abraham to father a nation when Abraham had no son and, and Sarah was, you know, past the childbearing years. Told Moses to deliver the children of Israel. Told him to cross the Red Sea and, and to get water from a rock. All that's impossible. All of that meant a crisis of belief. God told Joshua to, to cross the Jordan River and, and to walk around a city until he made the walls fall down. Told, told Joshua to conquer a nation as full of, you know, giants. God told Gideon, this is the crazy one, God told Gideon to defeat an army of 120,000 Midian, Midianites with 300 men. Impossible. In every one of these circumstances, God led the person that he was working with to a crisis of belief. God, if you don't show up, I'm going to fail. God told a virgin that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. God told Peter to eat unclean animals and eat with unclean Gentiles, which violates everything that he was taught from birth. The bedrock laws of the Old Testament. God told Ananias to go seek out Paul, the very person who was persecuting Christians. He told the, the, the early church, the apostles, to do crazy things. Just like what we're reading about today. Feed the 5,000, raise the dead, cast out demons, heal people. See, guys, this is what God does. This is what God does. And here's the thing. We hate that stuff. 99% of the time, we've reduced Christianity, you know, to a few of these very, very safe core things. We want to have fellowship. We're going to pray on occasion. We're going to read the Bible on occasion. We're going to go to church, and then we're going to try to make good decisions, and voila, that's Christianity. If that's the beginning and end of our Christian life, guys, then that's not authentic Christianity. The Bible reveals a little bit more scary picture than that. It just does. There's no way to read the Bible without coming to a conclusion that he reveals a little bit more scary picture than that. Maybe if we've turned our, our, our Christian life into something super, super safe that can be really, you know, explained easily and doesn't require walking by faith, maybe that's, that's what the Bible calls a form of godliness without any power. So some people believe that God wouldn't ask us to undertake something that seems impossible. Some leaders believe that God would never ask a church to step out in faith and to attempt something that seems impossible unless he shows up. Some people think God would never ask us to do something outside of our area of giftedness or, or our area of experience. But that's not what we read in the Bible. Because if this world is going to see God, see, God, see something that only God can do, 
then it takes more than just a person trying to be good and, and making a wise decision after they pray. And I know, guys, I know that this is uh, like a nerve-wracking sermon. This is a scary sermon. Like, this is not a normal sermon. This is kind of out there. This is kind of radical. I get it. I'm as nervous as you are because it's like, God, this is, this is scary stuff. And yet it's awesome. It's what we read about. Scripture clearly teaches that God will ask us to attempt things that are impossible aside from divine intervention. That's just the reality of the Bible. Some of us can easily think, well, that's irresponsible. But that's what we see in the pages of the Bible. Philip, you feed those 20,000 people. With what? God? With five loaves and two fish? Yep, go do it. And then, of course, we know the story. God showed up. He did it. So whenever God brings us to that crisis of belief, are you guys tracking with me so far? You kind of, are we on the same page? Maybe not that you're fully in agreement. You're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. This, that's how it always was. So I, I grew up in a church and, you know, a missionary would come and he was always like the radical person. And, you know, he'd come every so often, say something radical. And he'd always dress weird. Hopefully I'm not dressed too weird. But, but when I was young, the missionary would always dress weird. But you're tracking with me? So whenever God brings us to that place of a crisis of belief, that requires faith. A crisis of belief requires faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. God does want the same for us that he wanted for Philip. You feed them, Philip. And see, if Philip didn't struggle with understanding, is, is Jesus really speaking to me? No, Philip knew. Philip knew it was Jesus. So the struggle wasn't, is God really speaking to me? Philip wasn't struggling with, what are you really asking of me, Lord? Am I supposed to understand this allegorically? Does 5,000, you know, represent me or something? You know, he, no. He knew God was speaking. The request was clear. The issue was that it took tremendous faith. Otherwise, he'd just make a fool of himself, right? Philip would make a fool of himself. Well, this is a little bit I have. I'll start handing it out to you guys. And then after the first row, it's all gone. I guess I look like a fool. Philip struggled with the faith. Jesus said if his followers have faith in God, they will do even greater things than he has done. Because the reality is when we face a crisis of belief, what we do next reveals what we really believe about God. It reveals our faith. Is our faith real or is our faith not real? Every one of those uh, you know, what we call heroes of the Bible that I pointed out, that it required faith. Abraham, father of our faith. Moses, it took, it took faith to do the things he did. The apostles, Gideon, all those guys. It takes tremendous faith. So when God leads us to a crisis of belief, our faith is made evident. What we really believe about God is made evident. In church, I don't know about you guys, but in church, typically, we talk about faith all the time. We talk about faith. The reality is we tend to build a, a life around ourselves where faith really isn't that necessary. We typically can go through each day without having to exercise faith. 
And that doesn't please God. He wants us to be walking by faith, dependent on Him because of an intimate relationship that we have with Him. Faith. Sometimes I think anymore we're very confused about what faith really is because pop culture influences what we believe about faith. You know, from, from Marvel movies to Disney movies to Hallmark movies, there's this concept of just have faith. They all talk about faith. They use the word faith. Just have faith. And it's this vague thing. Like, like faith is the object itself. You know, you're pursuing faith. It could be faith in anything. It's just a general concept. I just want to believe. Just want to have faith. It doesn't matter what the faith is in. It's just, just have faith. And if you can manage to conjure up this magical faith, it's like you've released the, you know, the genie from the bottle and then God is going to do whatever, whatever you ask. Just, we just conjure up this magical faith. No, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is centered wholly and completely on God, on who He is and what He directs us to do. Biblical faith is centered on God and what He directs us to do. And here's the key, and this takes us back to reality too, because we can't just conjure up this magical faith and then say, okay, I have faith. And so now I'm going to go do this and do that and do that because that's not the way it works. We can't skip over all of those first realities and then just, and then just say, oh, okay, I have faith. You know, like I really want my car's breaking down. I really want a new car. And so I'm just going to, you know, I, I'm just going to do these mental gymnastics so that I can feel like, okay, I have faith. I've named it. I've claimed it. God is going to give me a new car. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not biblical. No, it's having an intimate relationship with God where you're in love with Him. You're hearing from Him. You're allowing Him to speak into your life and bring you into His work. And you believe He's moving. And so then you begin to seek confirmation desperately through prayer, through the Bible, through circumstances, through the church. And it's obvious God has spoken to you and all of those things are confirmed and then it's stepping out in faith because you know God spoke to you. You know he spoke to you. And so now it's just a matter of am I going to do it or not? That's how it was when he called us to Chihuahua. The, the calling was incontrovertible. It was obvious. It was God. It was confirmed in all of those ways. So the question was just do we have faith in this? And faith, of course, then leads us to obedience. James 2.17. So also faith by itself, it, if it does not have works, is dead. So also faith by itself, it does, if it does not have works, is dead. And so our faith is expressed through our, through our obedience, through the steps we take. If we're not sure that God is leading us into something, if it hasn't been confirmed, then we continue seeking Him. We continue being those branches that are connected to the vine. We continue uh, uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit as He becomes those springs bubbling forth inside of us and, and flowing out. We continue seeking Him and seeking confirmation. But then when we know it's him, we have faith to act, and finally, we take the steps. We're obedient. 
Obedience indicates faith in God. We still on the same page? And when we're obedient, when God brings us to this crisis of belief and we take that step of faith, it doesn't mean that there's always happy endings. That's, that's not a promise in the Bible. Heroes of the faith, they were jeered at. Heroes of the faith, their backs were cut open. Many heroes of the faith were sent to prison. All of those things we read about in Hebrews 11. Tortured. Why? Because they set, they set their hope on the life that they would experience after the resurrection. Their hope wasn't in a better life now. He said, no, God, I know you're calling me to this. I love you so much. I want to do whatever you have for me. I, I know this is what you're calling me to. And so, God, I'm doing it, and I don't care what it costs. And that's biblical. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's not a one-time thing, guys. That's, that's the ongoing picture of the Christian life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So the big idea, I know here at, at Grace, we, we, we use this phrase, the big idea. So here's the big idea, and it's just everything I've been saying. The big idea is that if we have an intimate relationship with God, He invites us to join Him in His work which leads to a crisis of belief, which requires faith and action. That's the big idea. That really is reality five of experiencing God. If we have an intimate relationship with God, he invites us to join him in his work, which leads to a crisis of belief, which requires faith and action. So in conclusion, there's the magic words we're always waiting for, right? We're waiting for the pastor to say, in conclusion. But the tricky thing is many pastors, they say in conclusion like one-third into their sermon. So you never really know. You're kind of left on your toes. In conclusion, I want to see this stuff worked out. Let's, let's see this worked out in someone's life. Let's make it a little bit more applicable, a little bit more concrete. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So in verses 1 and 2, we see those committed believers coming together in the church there in Antioch. And they're, they're gathering together and they're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. They're not, they're not saying, uh, God, tell me what to do for this decision. Do I do A or do I do B? No, that's not what they're there for. They're engaging in realities one and two that I summarized earlier. They're just so overcome with, with God and how good he is. And they're so in love with him that they're coming together and they're worshiping and, and they're fasting. When was the last time, guys? When was the last time... That, that you were so overcome with the goodness of God that you just broke out in praise. You just began worshiping. When was the last time that you were so desperate to have just a little bit more intimacy with God that, that you just chose to fast 
for days and to say, God, every hunger, pang I experience, every time I start to feel dizzy, it's just a reminder for me to drop back down onto my knees and pray. God, I'm so desperate to just, just be a little bit closer to you. When was the last time that God was your last thought before you fell asleep at night and your first thought in the morning when you woke up and he was, he was the person that you thought about during the night when you, were, when you were awake and couldn't sleep? Does that characterize your relationship with God? Because that's what we're talking about in this study. That's reality too. That's what these... That's what the church at Antioch, that's what they're coming together and doing, just fasting and worshiping God. And then the cool thing is when we do that, that's when the second half of verse 2 happens. That's when the Holy Spirit starts speaking. Because we have that intimate relationship. And so then the Holy Spirit starts to say, hey, do this. Or do that. In this particular case, he said, hey, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. No doubt forcing some level of crisis of belief in Paul and Barnabas. In which they had to have faith and then express that faith through obedience. See, guys, God doesn't want to be second place or third place or fifth place in our life. He doesn't want there to be our career and, and, and then he comes in around the cracks or our entertainment and then he comes in around the cracks. He calls that idol worship. He wants to be first place, what we're passionate about. And then that second half of verse 2 happens. He speaks to us. In this case, it was... Paul and Barnabas going and being a missionary. Oftentimes it's nothing. Oftentimes it's, hey, I want you to go talk to that person. They're hurting. Hey, I want you to sign up to be an usher because I want to touch people's lives through the joy that you express to them. And oftentimes those things still cause a crisis of belief. God, I can't, I'm, I'm super introverted. I can't be an usher. Whatever it might be, there's still that crisis of belief. But my point is, it's not always this, you know, what someone else would look at and say, that's impossible. But for us, it's impossible. And it's God moving through us. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 13, continuing on in verses 3 and 4. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So this is... Paul's launch as a, as a missionary. We see his obedience in stepping out. And when this happens, we're so excited and we're so scared to death. And we're brought to that crisis of belief. God, am I going to do it? And then we make a choice. All of it through intimate, passionate, loving relationship with God. You know, I love this study. Um, I, I love the preparation for this sermon. But let me tell you, this is hard for me. It very well might be that, uh, that God had me prepare this sermon just, just for me. Just for me to be wrestling with these things. You guys might just be, you know, along for the ride. I don't know. But this has been a hard sermon for me because this is not easy. This is not how I am naturally. We had a, 
you know, I had a great job and we had a, a great place in Colorado with up in the mountains with, with property and all that stuff. And, you know, and that's when God said, move to Chihuahua, this desert with a million people, uh, lots of crime. It was a crisis of belief. And we did it. And it's been the hardest thing we've ever experienced, and it's been the most beautiful thing we've ever experienced. And God moved. He's, he's done miracles. And it, it's nothing to do with us because we're horrible at this. Any one of you out there, you could do so much better at this whole thing. I mean, Heather's really good, but for me personally, you guys could do so much better if you were the missionary down in Chihuahua. You really could. It's just God. God has done miracles. After a few years, there were so many people, so many Tatamatas born again that he called us to, to begin a Tatamata church and then another Tatamata church and, and all this stuff. And again, it, crisis of belief. God, this is impossible. But he did it. That's the whole point. Yes, Chris, it's impossible. Now step out in faith and do it. Yes, Philip, it's impossible. Feed 20,000 people with, with a you know, handful of bread and fish. And then a few years after that, he called us to begin Christian foster care in Chihuahua. It was illegal. It wasn't even legal. And God called us to start Christian foster care. At that point, I didn't care about widows and orphans. I didn't. I mean, I know the Bible says I was supposed to, but I didn't care. My job was Tatamatas. That's all I cared about. And God said, no, light shine, start this Christian foster care ministry. And so God did miracles. It was a total crisis of belief. lasted years. God did miracles. Laws were changed. The, the, the government partnered with Lightshine, all this crazy stuff. It's all miracles. It had nothing to do with what we could do. And, and just a few months ago, we celebrated the five-year anniversary of, of the beginning of that ministry. And guys, 200 kids now, 200 kids have been rescued out of abandonment and sexual abuse, and they've been placed with Christian families, introduced to Jesus, go to church. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's all God. Don't know anything about foster care, and yet God just does it. A few years after that, there were so many, by that point, through the church and through Lightshine, there were so many mature Tatamata Christians that were growing in their faith that, that those Christians began saying, hey, we need to reach the entire Tatamata nation. We can't be content right here in our, in our colonias and in the city with the, you know, now with those of us that are Christians. We need to go reach our unreached nation. And, and so this movement of Tatamata Maranatha began. You're going to, if you stay for the lunch, you're going to hear more about all this stuff. But, but we started launching out into the mountains and Tatamatas are going back to the mountains and they're reaching the whole nation. I think there's a good chance that we, Grace, that we'll be able to celebrate seeing the, the Tatamatas come off the unreached people groups list. Why? Because God's doing miracles. It's not because we know what we're doing. We have no clue. God's just doing his thing and we're along for the ride. And he brings us into these crises of belief and we have to say yes or no. And it's horribly scary. Right now, guys, we're in a place, there have been funding changes with this foster care thing. There have been funding changes. Starting March 1st, if we choose to continue moving forwards with the foster care ministry, that means that we will lose $120,000 over the next 12 months. That's a big, big number. That's enough to sink light shine. We're in a crisis of belief right now. 
every night waking up praying about this. God lead. And we're not going to just say, oh, we're just going to do this willy-nilly. We just want to take this step of faith, and we're not just going to conjure up faith and say, yeah, we're doing it because we don't know yet. God hasn't confirmed what his answer is. And so we're desperately seeking him. And yet at the exact same time, we're not saying, no, we're absolutely not doing that. We're not going to take this step of faith. We're not doing that either. We're, we're waiting on God, and his timing is going to be perfect. And I'm confident that somehow, some way, he's going to make his will clear. We're not praying that he dumps out buckets of money. We're praying, God, just make your will clear. We're in a crisis of belief right now. Guys, that's what he does. And I really, I invite every single one of us uh, to be in that place, to be in that place where he is so important to us and we're seeking him so desperately and we're wanting him to speak to us and then we're wanting for that to be confirmed and we're wanting to step out in faith. I invite all of us to, and I need to do this constantly, all the time I'm having to do this, um, to, to think through these things, to repent because I don't want my sin to separate me from being able to hear from God. To reprioritize my life. God, do I really need to, you know, buy the $12 shampoo or can I get away with the $3 shampoo so that nine more dollars can be used directly for your kingdom? Yeah, reprioritizing. Getting a little less sleep so I can spend a little more time praying and reading the Bible. Guys, I invite all of you into that. And again, please understand this, man, I'm terrible at this stuff. I struggle with it. Not qualified to deliver this sermon. I, I'm doing it simply because Pastor Greg sent the email saying do this, and I know that God was forcing me into it because he wanted me to learn these concepts. So with that, I'm six minutes and 25 seconds over my time. So let me... Let me pray, but I do ask you to consider these things this morning. Consider these things because God wants to be a powerful God in your life. He wants to invite you into his work and just take you along with, for the ride. So let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning. We worship you because you're an incredible God. We thank you that you're obviously way, way, way too big for us to understand. You're way, 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 way too big for us to live out just through, just through concepts of wisdom or concepts of where we want to do the best we can. Lord, we thank you so much that you're the type of God who spoke to the church in Antioch and launched off Paul and Barnabas. We thank you so much that you're the type of God who asked Philip to feed 20,000 people. God, please move by your spirit. Please do that in our lives. Lord, we repent for those ways that we, um, that we separate ourselves from you. Lord, we repent for those ways in which we're so distant from you and we put ourselves first and we don't want to die to ourselves. Lord, we repent of those things and we ask that you would just move powerfully by your spirit in our lives. And Lord, also this morning even, we pray that you would make it clear about what to do with this foster care. Lord, we pray for that. We ask that you would, that you would speak, that you would make it clear. And Lord, if you're calling us 
to take a step of faith that we would do that and we would trust in you for the finances. Lord, for whatever situation each person is in here this morning, for whatever ways you're working in their life, we just ask that you'd move by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we, we worship you. You're such an amazing God. You're a God who knows the end from the beginning. You're a God that gives us joy and contentment that is above the problems, not, not, not taking away the problems, but overcomes the problems, Lord. In the midst of the problems, you're the God who gives us joy and contentment. So, Lord, we love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, guys, let me just say, please remember, Ladrieta is your mission field. So I encourage you to consider signing up to sponsor a child. Help a, invite a child into this life of faith that we're talking about this morning. Consider coming to the, to the lunch and, and hearing more about what, what God is doing. So thank you so much for my time here this morning.